Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're starting the new year with a series called All of Life, Following Jesus in All Life's Seasons. Because every aspect of life brings its own unique challenges and questions. For example, how do I find time for God when I've got small children? Or how do I follow Jesus as a single person when the church always seems so concerned with marriage? What does discipleship look like when I'm older? These are just a few of the questions that we're asking, and our prayer is that there would be something for everyone in this series, and that we all will grow to appreciate one another more, no matter what season of life we're in. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, please feel free to reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. All right, so once again, I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll get to the text here in a minute. 1 Corinthians 7, we'll be looking at a couple verses in there. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and somebody will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that we give you. Uh, But we are just happy that you're here and we want you to have a copy of the scriptures. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is what we're looking at today. And today we're going to talk about a topic that a huge number of people experience, but is hardly ever discussed in the church. And that topic is singleness. Singleness. Uh, we're in a series called All of Life right now. And in this series, we're looking at following Jesus through all the different seasons or chapters or, I don't know, aspects of life that we might find ourselves in. I, th- I think that the official subtitle of the series is like following Jesus in all life seasons. Um, and now I'm going to take issue with that subtitle today. And even though I wrote it, the reason I'm taking issue is because singleness is not necessarily a season and it's probably not very helpful to look at it that way either. For, for some of us, singleness might, might be simply what it is. I mean, we, we may never get married and I don't want to give the sense that, you know, oh, this is a temporary thing, and if you do all the right things, then it'll pass, and then you'll be better off. That's, in fact, the opposite of what I want to say today. I'm excited about this marriage, or this, this, uh, this, I'm, I'm excited about this sermon because it helps us talk about marriage more clearly. When we talk about single, singleness, we will inevitably discuss marriage, but what it does is it forces us to clarify exactly what marriage is for us which is something we don't often do. Here's what I mean. For a long time, marriage has been kind of presented as the default position for a Christian adult. The church is very marriage-centric. And if you don't think it is, just ask one of your single friends, and they'll be like, yeah, (laughs) it's all about marriage in the church. Now, I doubt that many people will come right on and say it, but from the time that you're young, marriage is often presented as critical to your fulfillment. And if you consider the countless sermons and seminars and books and conferences on marriage that we have circulating around, you'll come to realize that, you know what, there may not be much room for any other vision of adult life in the church. Many churches, in fact, won't even hire a pastor if they're not married. Marriage rules in our culture, it seems. Now, I want to I give a big fat caveat here. Please hear me. Nothing I say is going to devalue marriage today. I'm a big fan of marriage. In fact, I think that, uh, that one of the biggest problems facing our culture is, the, is you know, the fact that marriages are falling apart and therefore lots of you know, parenting relationships are falling apart. That's not good. We're going to talk about that stuff next week a little bit. But, 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 but... 
while nothing that I say will devalue marriage, we do have to find ways to stop promoting marriage as the key to personal fulfillment in life. It's not our ultimate goal as Christians. Our goal is to be found in Christ. And so here's, here's what I want to communicate to those of you today who are single and even those who aren't. It's this. Singleness can be a prophetic reminder to the church that our ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ. Singleness can be a prophetic reminder to the church that our ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ. Now, I'm going to say this a number of times. There's all sorts of different ways you can be single. Some people want to be single, aren't necessarily looking for a relationship. Other people are single and they don't want to be single. And if you're in that camp today, you're hearing me say this, and you're like, well, I don't want to be a prophetic reminder. I didn't sign up for that. Well, I hope that I can sort of impress upon you what a high and holy calling that is. And perhaps that we've, we've maybe veered off course a little bit and we've kind of forgotten a few things about where our ultimate fulfillment is found and that it's in Christ alone, not in your spouse, not in your kids. Our ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ. That's the message that married and single people need to hear. Now, I suspect something like this is what might be in the back of Paul's mind as he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at verse 34 real quick. Here's what he says. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, of this world, how she can please her husband. Now, He's talking, obviously, to women, about women right now. I actually think that this could very easily be flipped and the same truth would apply to unmarried or married men. And the reason why I believe that is because just previous to this passage, Paul is talking about himself, his own singleness. In verse 7, here's what he says. I wish that all of you were as I am, meaning single. He's actually telling the Corinthians, I wish you were all like me. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So he's not just talking about to the women. He's using himself as an example. So he's saying, look, married men and women have the same challenge. At least here, he is consciously encouraging people to stay unmarried, which is kind of interesting. Why is he doing this? Well, because he's found that being single can enable him to live a life more fully devoted to God. Now, I don't think Paul elevates singleness over marriage necessarily. And in fact, you read the book of Ephesians and you got this beautiful picture of marriage that he paints there. But I think if we read this a little bit contextually, as far as like maybe what's going on in the Corinthian church, my own theory, there's a lot of different ideas about why Paul is telling people, you know, stay single. I wish you were like me. Uh, my own theory might be that it has something to do with the fact that when you read the rest of the Corinthian correspondence, you realize there's a lot of really messy relationships in that church. And he might have been kind of saying, you know what, you guys just might need to take a chill pill for a second and focus on the Lord, you know? Uh, that might be a little bit what's going on there. But whatever the case, what it means is that Paul doesn't seem to think that marriage is the ultimate goal. It's not the ultimate goal. And I also don't think that he thinks singleness is the ultimate goal. What matters is to be found in Christ. What matters is to be devoted to the Lord. 
And so for Paul, if you were to ask him, well, should I get married or not? The answer is, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Will it pull you towards Christ or away? That's really what it comes down to. And so, if you're single and you're here today, I invite you to embrace this calling, this prophetic reminder that we talked about. We need it. We need to see it. We need to know it. We need, we need your witness of it, that our ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ, not in what any other person can do for us. And so listen, for as long as you're single, be single with a purpose. For as long as you're single, be single with a purpose. It is okay to not want to be single. But my encouragement is that as long as you are single, be intentional about it. Your life is a reminder to us, people like me, where our ultimate loyalty and fulfillment lies. It's in Christ alone, and your life can be a unique reminder of that. Now, often when a, when a single person comes to the church, married folks, what's our instant reaction? You know what we do? We try to play matchmaker. Try to connect them. We can hook them up with somebody, you know? Oh, I got a friend or I got a family member or whatever. And eh, that's fun. I get it. And hopefully the single person likes it too. Probably some of them like it more than others. You should probably ask them before you do it. Uh, but here's what I wish our knee-jerk reaction would be. It would be to invite them more intensely into our circles, you know? Invite them around our tables. Invite them to our homes. The fact is... Um, Often when a single person comes, that's our reaction, but it should be, hey, oh, do you have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving this year? Who are you celebrating Christmas with? Do you want to come to our house? I want to help them see that, hey, you might not have a romantic partner, you might not have a spouse, but you're not single. If what we mean by single is alone, solitary, that's not who you are. That's not what you are. In fact, as I wrote this message, I got tired of the word single. I, we're, I'm going to keep using that word because it's just the word we use. But the word single, just, it's, it's a lonely word, you know? Solitary is what it means. In fact, silly little illustration here. I've got a, I got a single gumball right here, you know? There ain't no other gumballs around it. It's a single gumball. But let me ask you something. When I put this gumball over here with these other gumballs, It ain't single anymore, is it? This is the church right here. Like, no, you might not have a spouse. You might not be romantically involved in anybody, but you're not alone. You're, I mean, you're no more alone than these gumballs are right here. And so nobody should ever feel alone in the church. I discussed this message. As I was writing it, I discussed it with a single person in our, in our church. Just wanted to kind of learn more about her experience about following Jesus as a single person, also being in the church and that kind of thing. And, and she told me, you know, one of the hardest things is just feeling alone or even forgotten a lot of times. And um, just everything that we do is often kind of oriented towards people who are married or people with families and things like that. Um, but it, it helped me see a lot of the stuff that I've taken for granted. So one example would be this, like we have these events at Table Church, like our Christmas open house, or we do church picnics in the spring, summer and fall. Um, and you know, for me, when I go to that event, when I roll up to the church picnic, I'm not wondering who I'm going to sit next to. I've got my family. I'm going to sit next to my wife and kids. 
I'm not going to go try to find an empty, or I'm not going to try to find a table with people that I can sit at. I'm probably trying to find an empty table to get my five kids, you know, my family of five seated there. Seated there. But when you're single and you roll up to an event like that and you're wondering immediately, well, who am I going to sit with? Now, of course, we understand. We're table church. We're so friendly. We all love each other. You can sit with whoever you want because we're family. Yeah, that's true. But there's still this kind of moment that you have to break in. There's oh, and It's not that it's necessarily hard to do. It's that it's never ending. You know? There is a constant negotiation happening where every time you go to anything, you got to figure that out. It opened my eyes a little bit. And I think it's probably a good word for us, right? Us married people who don't always think of it that way. So we married folks should make it our goal to ensure that any single person in our circles does not feel alone. They might not be married, but they don't need to feel single. And if that were the case anywhere, it should be the case at a church like Table Church. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them over for holidays. Help them know that they have a family. Now, one of the hard things about writing this message is that there is a huge range of ways that people experience being single. I already alluded to this. Some, some people are single on purpose, and they don't necessarily want to change that. They're not looking to change that. Uh, some people are single against their will. Maybe they were divorced. Maybe they're widowed. Um, other people are single and they've never been married and they deeply desire to be and they wish they were. And they don't know why it hasn't happened yet. And, and most every day is sort of a, a reminder of this and, and it's hard. And so with that wide range of kind of ways to be single... I have a few things that I'd like to say that I hope, I know that not every single point I'm going to make is going to apply to every kind of single person, but I hope that everybody here can at least glean something from at least one of these points. And the first one is this. I'd encourage you that instead of independence, think interdependence. Instead of independence, interdependence should be the posture that you're that you're trying to seek in your life. And what I mean is that you should try to shape your life to where you rely on others and others rely on you. You're not independent. Try to shape your life in a way that you rely on others and others rely on you. Now, when it comes to comparing the life rhythms of you know, single people or married people, uh, there's always a give and a take in terms of how you spend your time, your schedules, and that kind of thing. If you're single, you know, on the one hand, you don't have anyone to help you with the house chores or pay the bills necessarily, but you've also maybe got a little bit more control over your schedule if you don't have children at least. Um, you know, you can go out for, the week, for an evening if you want. If you've got the money, you can travel on the weekends. You know, that's cool, but the flip side is that on the evenings that you don't have anything to do or the weekends you don't have anyone to be with, you might be wondering what you're doing, you know? And so there's like a give and a take. But my point is that we all need to rely on someone. We all need to be relied upon. Interdependence is important for us to flourish. We need that. That's what real community means. And so make sure there's a fixed point in your schedule where you know, I got to show up. I can't just be a recluse here. I got to show up because these people are counting on me. Also make sure that other people are counting on you. They need to show up for you as well. 
If they flake, you're going to miss out. If you flake out, they'll miss out. Push toward being interdependent. That's simply, that's what community is. Now, by the way, this point applies to married people too. Um, people with kids, whatever the case. Sometimes we can hide behind our children, you know? Sometimes we can use them as an excuse to not do things that we probably should do. This is a good reminder. Now, sometimes having children does create legitimate reasons why you can't come to this thing tonight. But let's always remember, it's not about us, right? Showing up, you're showing up for them. You're showing up for the people for whom this is their community for the week. This is their opportunity to be around the people that they care about the most. And it's interesting. We have table groups in our church and I've observed a lot of the single folks in our, in our church, they, they really value their group. Like it becomes kind of a, a lifeline for them. And I think it's awesome that in a, in a way that a lot of the people maybe with families don't. So show up. Those of us who have spouse, kids, whatever, it's not about you. It's, we're showing up for other people. Who might need you today? Now, my next point applies to people who do hope to marry someday, and it's this. Be the right person before you find the right person. In the show Parks and Recreation, there's a character named Tom Haverford, Haverford and he is miraculously dating Ann Perkins at one point. And um, at one point, Tom discovers that Ann has never heard of one of his favorite music artists, Genuine. A 90s R&B artist. And here's what he says. He says, when I'm dating someone, I have a list called my oh-no-no's. If a woman commits an oh-no-no, it can end the relationship. Not loving 90s R&B music is number three on the oh-no-no's list. Listen, the idea of having a list is pretty popular. We have our, oh, he checks all my boxes or whatever. You know, like we, we have these lists sometimes. But the problem is that finding a spouse isn't the same as buying a car. <laughs> a very different process here. And the point of marriage isn't to say, hey, meet my standards. The point is to say, I love you and I want to serve you for my whole life. So don't start with a consumeristic mindset. Marriage isn't about getting what we want. It's about loving the same person forever. Letting that mutual love teach the world about God's undying love for us. That's what marriage is for a Christian. So before we ask, are they the right person? We should ask, am I the right person? In fact, what you could do is you could ask, am I fulfilled in Christ right now? Or am I trying to get married in order to fill a hole that I haven't filled? The fact is that no physical list of traits or preferences will matter in 50 years when your spouse has cancer or Alzheimer's. All that's going to matter at that point is the foundation that you've set. Now, I'm not saying don't have standards. In fact, in many ways, I would encourage folks to raise their standards. It's just all about what kind of standards we're talking about here, you know? Which leads me to my next point. And again, I said earlier, when you talk about singleness, it's inevitable. You're going to talk about marriage. So we're going to talk about marriage here. And this is one of the things I like about this is it forces us to really think through what a marriage is. What's our theology of marriage here? But the thing I want to say is marriages are built on Christ. So for anybody who's hoping to be married, I want you to understand, marriages are built on Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul writes, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I'm not exactly sure what it means to be yoked together with somebody, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't get any more yoked than being married. It's about as yoked as it gets. And he's saying don't be yoked with unbelievers. 
So the thing that I want everyone to understand, whether you're single or married, is that, listen, if you're a Christian, when we say the word marriage, we mean something different than what others mean when they say the word marriage. I know we're saying the same word, but listen, for us, marriage is a theological category. And what I mean is that we define marriage first and foremost in the sense that it is something that God does. Something that God is involved in. And that's the most important criteria for a marriage. Somehow in our culture, there was a time when, you know, most, lots of people in our country had like Christian presuppositions, Christian values. They had a basic understanding maybe of the Christian story and things like that. And so maybe we could say a word like marriage and everybody could kind of more or less mean the same thing. I don't think those days are here anymore. We can't make those assumptions anymore. And so we mean different things when we say the word marriage. I know all cultures have something like marriage, right? But when we say as a Christian, we have a definition of marriage that isn't necessarily the same as everybody else. And, um, and, and the reason is because it flows from our understanding of who God is and what he's trying to accomplish through us. So imagine for a second that if you wanted to be baptized, you had to go to the courthouse and sign a piece of paper. That'd be weird. This would be a confusion of categories, would it not? And yet this is kind of what we've done with marriage. As a pastor, as an ordained minister, I have a power vested in me by the state of Iowa. What? (laughs) That's kind of weird. And so we need to disentangle all of this in our understanding of what a marriage is and, and, and kind of come back to the fact that, no, actually, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a Christian, what I understand a marriage to be has to, has to come from the scriptures as kind of distilled to us through the church. And, and what we find is this. In a marriage, we see a sign of Christ's love for the church. So what is a Christian marriage? It is a covenant that we make before God with our husband or wife as a sign of God's undying love for his people. See, marriage is a sign. Somebody asks me, what's a marriage? That's the first word out of my mouth. It's a sign. What's a sign of? It's a sign to the world of a God whose love endures as our love endures a God who reconciles as we reconcile, a God who forgives as we forgive. Marriage tells the world something true about God. And in that sense, I always like to say that marriage is evangelism. (laughs) It's a sign. So if you're single and you hope to be married someday, this is my conviction for you. Set your spiritual standards high. You want your marriage to be a sign. You want your marriage to tell the world something true about who God is. Now, by the way, some of us do not have this in a marriage, right? You know what else Paul writes? He says that the believing spouse can sanctify the unbelieving spouse. I have no idea what that means, but it, it's amazing. Like, that's a verse that'll mess with your theology. Because for me, it's like, no, faith in Christ is a personal decision that I must make. And then here Paul's like, oh, no, actually the, unbelieving, the believing spouse can sanctify the unbelieving spouse. What? I don't know. 
But it's cool. I mean, so it, it, my point is that if, look, if you're in a marriage that maybe would be considered unequally yoked or something, they, they don't, they're not a believer. Oh, there's some, there's some hope there. There's something cool going on there. Like God is going to use you in an incredible way. He's going to flow through you into your spouse in some incredible way. All right. Don't give up hope. And, and, uh, yeah, just trust the Lord in that because I believe that, that he cares. So listen, the goal should never be to get married. The goal should be, if marriage is a goal in any sense, is your goal, the goal should be to have a good marriage. I've seen a lot of bad marriages, y'all, and it ain't good. You don't want that. There's nothing worse than a bad marriage. We want good marriages that are centered around Christ. So, make Christ the foundation of your marriage. Should that be what you pursue? Finally, the last thing I want to say is this. Discern which voice is talking. Discern which voice is talking. Um, Like I've said, there's all sorts of ways people experience being single. Some are single on purpose, some against their will. Um, some are single and they're heartbroken about it and they don't know why it hasn't happened yet. They, they're praying for it and they've wondered and the years come and go and it, ha- and it doesn't happen. That per- maybe they go through heartbreak, you get your hopes up and then it all comes crashing down and you're left to wonder why. And that's some of the worst pain, isn't it? That's some of the worst kind of pain. Look, I wish that I had a magic wand that I could wave that could fix all of that for anybody who's experiencing that pain. Because look, I think you're all amazing, but I don't have that wand. And so I think the best thing that I can do is to give permission to you to be honest with God about how you're feeling. And I know that many of you are, and I really, really honor and respect that. But I know that you've probably felt frustrated with God over this, asking him why that relationship didn't work out or why no relationship has happened. Or maybe you've been tempted to think, what's wrong with me? Will you discern what voice is talking? Because that's not God's voice. Maybe you've wondered, what's wrong with God? Just do a little work in your self-talk and try to discern what voice is talking right now. Because anything that sounds like that ain't the voice of God. You know what God thinks? God loves you. He thinks you're amazing and that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, we forget this, but it's really, really interesting and important to point out how many of the greatest spiritual writers and devotional masters and theologians through church history have been unmarried people? We stand on the shoulders of giants who are single. <laughs> and yet somehow we've gotten from that to the point where, you know, some churches won't even hire a pastor who's not married. We, we've missed something here. The church has a tremendous legacy of singleness, of people who have said, I'm going to fully devote myself to God, and this is the way I'm going to do it. And those, many of those people have been, listen, the most influential people for the kingdom of God. So look, it's okay, it's okay to not want to be single. It's okay to tell God how you feel. But I also want you to know you're a prophetic reminder of the church of where our true fulfillment is, and I hope that you understand that as, a, as an incredible thing. It may not last forever. It may be a season in your life. I don't know. And it may not be. 
But whatever the case, cling to the biblical promises about who God thinks you are and replace the lies with the truth. I hope that at Table Church you've found a family. I hope that Table Church is this right here, that we're this jar of gumballs. That there's no single people, if what we mean by single is like solitary and alone, that we have a family. That's what we want to be. Would you join me in prayer? Well, God, I know that a sermon like this may evoke some feelings. Hopefully I've handled it well. Hopefully people have heard it well. Um, but Lord, I, I trust that you will work in the hearts of those who need to hear it most. Um, and, and Lord, that you would bring comfort, that you, your voice of love would come shining through most clearly to those that need it. Lord, as we seek to devote ourselves to you in whatever aspect of life we're in, Lord, I pray that you'd accept our meager offerings. Lord, I ask that um, we'd be a church that looks more and more like this jar of gumballs here, one where we're just truly a family, loving one another well, where nobody has to feel alone. We love you, God, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>